Good evening. You're on Equal Footing with Dove Tusman. Our show tonight is a kind of Valentine's uh, special. Uh, it's Finding Fidelity, Navigating Traditional and Open Relationships. It's a topic like the show we did recently around the alchemy of heartbreak that inspires literature and poetry and song. It's a topic that few of us have not been uh, touched by, or we've all been touched by, I should say, in one way or another. We've either been in long-term, traditional, monogamous relationships that have yielded a certain type of structure and beauty in our lives and are part of the undergirding family structure of what I would call traditional society, Uh, or we've been the subject of uh, infidelity. We've been the object of infidelity. We've been involved uh, in relationships that we feel we, we shouldn't have been, whether they're emotional or physical. These are topics that don't get touched on a lot, though, in a context like this. Uh, they tend to make their way into art, uh, into the uh, painful passion that uh, that that is manifested in in the in the arts and in in our private conversations. We're going to try to open it up publicly tonight. I uh, really appreciate the openness of our guests. We have three guests talking tonight about this concept of finding fidelity. What does it? mean? What is the spectrum of physical, emotional, mental fidelity in a relationship? And what are different relationship structures that honor those um, those uh, different points in the spectrum? I'm joined tonight by Elliot Andre. Elliot is a licensed psychotherapist and co-founder of Connected Roots Therapy. He's a, he has a passion for working with people who identify their relationship style as non-monogamous and or alternative. And this stems from his own journey uh, personally, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, Elliot specializes in guiding individuals and couples through the process of opening up their relationship stories uh, to alternative models, if that's right for them, as well as helping those already committed to uh, non-traditional relationship structures to navigate the ups and downs that may may occur through engagement in non-monogamous lifestyle. Also joined by two uh, advocates or, or folks that have through their own lived experience touched on non-traditional relationship structures, and I'm really, uh, I really appreciate in our pregame the the uh, authenticity it's been brought by all three of these guests to this discussion, and particularly to my next two guests, Jessica and Ellie, you don't come at this from a, a therapeutic or a clinical perspective, but from a lived experience perspective. I'll introduce Jessica first. Jessica Lagana is a registered nurse with a background in psychiatric mental health nursing, so definitely brings a clinical perspective, but not necessarily in this area. Uh, pursuing a doctorate in nursing, nursing practice, lives in Colorado. Ethica, uh, excuse me, Jessica has been ethically non-monogamous for ten years and is a happy part of a hinge relationship. We'll learn what that is—a poly V—for a little over a year. I'm also joined joined by Ellie Benhiyun. Ellie's been on the show before, a show where we were addressing kind of the intersection between uh, sexual health and and fluidity and and religious observance. And I have 
we've been friends for years, and I have uh, always respected Ellie's willingness to put himself out there um, at uh, at risk because you know it comes from a traditional community. Ellie's a writer, uh, a creative director, and an advocate of what he calls a sex positive lifestyle. Ellie is a rabbi. He's received rabbinical training. He's not acting as a rabbi now in his professional life, uh, but he's received that training in seminary environments in the U.S., France, and Argentina, and even Singapore. Uh, he officially became a rabbi on his final stop in, in Asia and Singapore. He was married when he was 23. He started a synagogue in Lincoln Park, uh, and, which was affiliated with DePaul University in, in Chicago. And after Ellie's divorce and departure from a rabbinical ministry, he became a, a, a business person, has been out there, uh, worked with charity, a crowdfunding company for nonprofits, was a development director at Lamplater's Yeshiva, working with nonprofits he's passionate about. Uh, Lamplater's is an innovative, uh, was an innovative Montessori Jewish school in, in Brooklyn, New York. And Ellie has written for Hevria and has appeared on multiple episodes of the popular podcast, Sex in the Pews. Elliot. Jessica, Ellie, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having us. <laughs> we'll be patient Thanks a little bit. I, I know that at least Ellie um, is uh, is in kind of a rural area, and hopefully we won't have uh, telephonic difficulties. Uh, it's it's really great to to have you guys all on the show. And let's start with you, Elliot, and maybe you can um, ground us a little bit uh, academically or clinically around this topic, because people often think of fidelity as binary. You're either in a, a lifetime committed uh, monogamous relationship where no one is stepping out or you're not. Can you talk about what fidelity means from your perspective as a licensed psychotherapist working in this area? Absolutely. I think that uh, we have to start by just framing what fidelity looks like for each individual person in regards to, to how this may come up when working with clients. Some people find fidelity being like you've described is like more traditional way, but also in non-monogamous relationships, you can have forms of fidelity as well. So in regards to, to what it looks like in my perspective, coming from my own experience in the clinical world, as well as living a polyamorous lifestyle, fidelity to me is ethical non-monogamy. It is absolutely that ability to let people know who you're surrounded with or in relationship with. Uh, the truth and honesty about what and how you show up in relationships and the commitment to those relationships and the communication around those relationships more so than anything, rather than kind of the societal structure view of what that looks like from an outsider's perspective. In. So just to stay with you for a moment, Elliot, what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that fidelity, as you define it in your practice, is about honesty and integrity and communication between the partners, maybe I don't mean to overstretch your point, but as opposed to adherence to a standard social or, or social or religious structure. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there. Ellie, you, I don't know what the right phraseology you are. You were a rabbi. Certainly you were in rabbinical uh, ministry for, for some time and you come from a family uh, in rabbinical ministry. Maybe you could step out of the context of your advocacy today and the way you see relationships now and speak to the other side. What, what, what would you say is fidelity in a traditional kind of Judeo-Christian context? context? Um. So, first of all, it's kind of interesting to pause on this um, rabbi thing because um, when I was a practicing rabbi, I actually um, 
associated at Elliot's uh, wedding um, about four years ago, um, which is definitely one of the highlight experiences of, of me being as a rabbi. And then today, both of us having evolved and pursuing um, other kinds of relationships, it's, it's so interesting. And um, I, I just feel honored about like, to be part of this journey for both of us. Um, and Elliot can probably talk about that a little more later. Um, I guess for, if I am speaking for the other side, and, and not that there are two sides, um, but for the sake of the conversation, um, the way that I saw marriage traditionally was from a very spiritual perspective, where it was um, like two souls that are uniting, um, or really one soul that are manifested in two bodies and then come together. Um, and therefore it was like very logical that you know, you would then only live uh, with each other and, and no one else. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I don't claim to have found a different truth or to have, like, disqualified that perspective as a truth. Um, it's more in my own personal experience and, and pursuing of my own, um, you know, mental health and emotional health has led me in other, in other directions. I want to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that and for your for your honesty. I want to come back to the context the the context of you know, traditional structures and particularly the kind of Judeo Christian idea of 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 love and marriage. But Jessica, before we do that, I'd love to hear your perspective on what fidelity means to you, given the lifestyle that you've chosen as, in ethical non monogamy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that fidelity has a lot to do with um, trust and how you build and maintain that trust. And what Elliot kind of started talking about, that you can have fidelity even if you have non-monogamy, you have expectations of your partner that you want them to meet. And for most people, one of those expectations is monogamy. And that's a fine expectation if you have two people that are agreeing with that. Um, but for, you know, there's a lot of other aspects of partnership that people can also step out on. Like you can have financial infidelity if your mm-hmm. partner goes and gambles away your life savings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one of the things that doesn't get discussed as much in this area are the, all the different forms of fidelity and infidelity. I've mentioned this before in a previous show, ironically, on politics, but one of the most formative moments for me, probably intellectually, and it touched on both the political world and the, and the emotional world, was watching a reporter, I must have been, I don't know, eight years old or something, ask uh, President, then President Jimmy Carter, a question as he was on the tarmac and he was in the, the campaign uh, against Ronald Reagan for president. In, in 1980, and the reporter was asking him about his uh, whether he'd been faithful to his wife. And actually, fidelity, like if you look at the etymology of fidelity, comes from the Latin root of fidelis, which just means to be faithful, to be a, a faithful copy of something. So, in this sense, I guess uh, faithful to the institution of marriage. And the reporter asked him if he had been faithful to his wife. And it had been the fr- it was the first time that a reporter I learned later had ever asked a president in a public context on TV or on the radio whether about their personal life in that way, even though many presidents before had it's, it was well documented or well understood in the press court they were not faithful. And the reporter asked uh, President Carter this, and he he took the question and he said, "No, I have not been faithful." Uh, and I've not been faithful throughout my entire marriage. And the reporter jaws, the reporter's 
jaw dropped. Thought he it, he had had this enormous scoop, and then he and then he clarified and said, "I have I have thought of other women. Um, I have looked at other women." Um, throughout my marriage, and Jimmy Carter was a, uh, a born again, not born again, a fundamentalist Christian, and I thought that th- that was fascinating. Fascinating for other reasons, which <laughs> we addressed in another another show. But um, that's a that's a whole different level of fidelity, and it's this idea that it's just a, that it's just physical is for any any person listening that's ever been in a relationship knows it's more complex than that. Um, Elliot, is there a paradigm academically to look at fidelity? Is there any is there any <laughs> expert out there that said here are the uh, you know here are the dimensions, here are the you know five matrices of fidelity you know, defined as whatever physical, emotional, fantastical, whatever? Not that I know of, and or care to look into, <laughs> because <laughs> like what you're describing, you know, to me looking at another woman or, or or thinking about another woman, like that's just to the extreme for me. And I don't want to bring judgment into this conversation at all, but in regards to what that looks like is we're human. It's only possible that we're going to have these types of thing, of experiences. It's not possible that we can live a whole life of however, you know, we live until we we're, we're until we live until we die, that we're not thinking about somebody else fantasizing about something to the point, even if we are married super religious, born again, whatever. I don't care. You know, it's, it's not physically possible. So, yes, I am sure there's academia out there that has discussed what the five pillars or whatever of, of, of fidelity are. Again, that's not something that I would uh, preach in my practice and or would live by my life in general. So in regards of what that looks like, Fair enough. Fair enough. Join our conversation here with Elliot Andre, who's a psychotherapist and a specialist in alternative relationship models, and Jessica Lagana and Elliot Benhiyun, who are both uh, advocates around uh, sex positive lifestyle uh, and in particular being open about different ethical structures in, in, in relationships. This is a raw topic. I really hope that we're going to get participation on the air. You can call in 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. I know this is a sensitive topic. Wherever you sit on it, you don't have to uh, you know, identify yourself by name or by location when you call in. If you're shy about that, uh, you're obviously welcome to. You can also text a question if you like at 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. Your 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 uh, confidence will be respected there. And then finally, if you want, you can also email a question to Dove Barela D O V B E R E L A at gmail dot com if you if you prefer. Okay, we're going to take a break in a minute, but I want to uh, go back to you, Ellie, for a moment, Ellie Benhiun, around the the concept of traditional uh, structure, uh, the traditional social structure for marriage throughout most of the world is uh, a contracted monogamous structure and by ob- objective sociological measure it's a structure at least in the western world or actually in the world where statistics reliably exist around around this in free societies i should qualify um there it's in the west around a 57-58% failure rate uh, over the last decade for uh, for marriages meaning uh, Upper almost sixty percent of marriages in the Western world end up in divorce, um, and then 
in other uh, social structures, that, that number is anywhere between uh, that level all the way down to uh, 20, 25% in more quote unquote traditional societies. In, in the West, at least, that would tell us that it is a failed structure, something that's failing more than 50% of the time. There's probably an alternative structure <laughs> that we should consider. Uh, so, Ellie, before we go to the break, is there an alternative kind of standard that you would posit that around relationships for all to follow as opposed to it being just an individual thing couple by couple? Um. Again, I mean, I can't speak to, like, an alternative um, truth that works for everyone. And I, and I think maybe that kind of premise is what, what leads us to so many, quote-unquote, failed relationships. Um, also, I would consider that um, maybe, you know, by the standard of marriage, um, those relationships have failed. But maybe in the standard of personal growth, um, those are actually successes. I can I can speak for myself. Um, you know, my divorce process was a very healthy and positive experience for me. Um, and so my divorce was actually a and it's like kind of like a, a success in my life. Not you know, obviously there's pain and and cost that comes with it, but in terms of my own personal well being, it, it improves it. So. Um, I would say that, you know, starting with one's own, um, looking internally and, and trying to find a path forward for one's own wellness is, you know, the, really the beginning of uh, finding an alternative. All right. Well, we're going to come back in, in a few moments. We have uh, Elliot Andre, Jessica Lagana, Ellie Benhiyun talking about finding fidelity. It's a special Valentine's show of equal footing, navigating traditional and open relationships. We'll be right back. Tonight's episode of Equal Footing with Dove Tusman is brought to you by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere on the planet. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts, asset-based financing that's easy. For more information, call 833-209-0972. Again, 833-209-0972. Operators are standing by. You can also go to the website. It's very easy to use, www.mechanicalart.com capital.com at mechanical art capital funds are wired to you quickly and discreetly in one or two business days the timepieces are stored in a secure location in manhattan new york you can have your watches back whenever you're ready the whole thing is super safe super simple contact mechanical art capital at 833-209-0972 All right, we're back on equal footing with my guests, Elliot Andre, Jessica Lagana, Ellie Ben-Hiyun, talking openly about different relationship structures, finding fidelity, navigating open and traditional relationships. Okay, Jessica, what kind of relationship are you currently in and how do you navigate that in in, in a world of, of, uh, of judgment and, and different you know, views on the topic. 
Um, so I would say that I have a, several relationships, but my I have a primary relationship, and that is um, a polyamorous B would be the term, in which there's one person that has two primary partners. So one person is managing two primary relationships, um, and then those other two people may or may not have additional partners outside of that primary B. Um, so I have other relationships with people that I'm very, very close with. Um, but the difference between a primary and what I would call a secondary relationship for me are all of these very practical agreements that you make. So when we were, you were talking about marriage before the break, um, I think that society has really lost of the fact that marriage is really a business agreement between two people to share financial resources, to share a home, um, to share the responsibility of taking care of loved ones. So all of those practical agreements are the things that make a primary relationship. And a lot of people include monogamy in that, but I do not. Talk to us, Jessica, about uh, what infidelity looks like in the context of your relationship? No, I'm not saying so you've had would, that. You, I'm just saying, how would you define infidelity in, in your relationship structure? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I definitely believe that infidelity can happen even without um, monogamy uh, because when you have a relationship with somebody, especially a primary relationship where you're, you've put some of your eggs in their basket so to speak, um, you, um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, that's sorry. okay. I was asking about, like, how would you define infidelity in the context of your uh, polyamorous V uh, structure? Yeah. So when you're in a relationship, you make agreements with each other as far as what you feel comfortable with. A lot of people would call those boundaries. And those are things that evolve over time. But, um, we want to always be acting in the best interest of our partners. And if we're in a situation where we can no longer do that, then we need to end the partnership. So things like not communicating clearly about additional relationships for me would be um, infidelity or um, doing something financially irresponsible would be infidelity in my mind. Elliot, let's talk about... Sorry, Jessica, I didn't mean to, inter- to interrupt. Did, were you done your point? I would, be, I would be losing faith in my partner if those things occurred. Okay, so let's season on the second to last point that, that you made about not being uh, truthful about other, other relationships. Elliot, one of the, the most common uh, stories that, that, that you hear, and it's, it's makes it way, makes its way through the, the psychotherapeutic and, and academic literature on this topic, which has exploded over the last 10 or 15 years with books like More Than Two and The Ethical Slut and others that address uh, different relationship structures, um, is the concept of of emotional in, in infidelity um, and, and the issue of communication. And I want to kind of put a, a hypothetical to you, Elliot. When you're working with couples, is is it okay in a m- monogamous traditional structure, let's say, or I'm not asking you to make a judgment, let me put it a different way. You have a couple that's in a, a traditional uh, monogamous structure to their relationship and there's no physical uh, stepping out 
and that's the primary agreement. But there is an emotional relationship or a friendship relationship or a, um, a place of, of succor, a place of, of, of safety that's with someone of, of the opposite sex. Is there space in that traditional structure for that type of stepping out? Can that be navigated easily, or do you see couples navigate that and stay in a traditional structure where there isn't physical uh, polyamory? Again, it's case by case. Depends on the couple, depends on the people, and, and what they've agreed upon said terms. Have I worked with clients who are in a traditional couple kind of situation or not or a monogamous relationship that, you know, have these other outlets or people that they can connect with outside of their traditional relationship? Yes. Are those talked about? Are things communicated about? Absolutely. When things start to fall through the cracks in the sense of communication, then yes, jealousy occurs. And jealousy occurs no matter what. You know, non-monogamous or monogamous relationships. Right. But that's kind of the biggest kind of, um, I think, thorn in a lot of people's sides is like how to cope with that even, that that even being a possibility. I mean, before I was non-monogamous, I was monogamous. Am I traditionally a jealous person? Not really, depending, right, the situation. Would I expect that, you know, before I was non-monogamous, that something like, you know, my wife being hit on by somebody or, or, or you know, pursued, would that frustrate me? Probably, but if it was just a friendship or, or comfort in that or, like, somebody that she could talk to that was the, the opposite sex, no. You know, if it went past that limit of her feeling guilty and frustrated and, like, knowing that something was wrong, quote-unquote, in her eyes, then we talk about that. I mean, that's the one thing that my wife said to me before opening up our relationship was, if I cheat on you, what would we do? And I said to her, I looked at her straight in the face, I said, we would talk about it. Mm-hmm. We'd figure it out. Right. We'd see what we needed to do. Ellie Benhuyen, talk to us a little bit about your journey where where are you in terms of finding the right relationship structure and uh, where were you before um so i haven't um myself uh pursued um i'm sorry let me rephrase that i haven't myself been in a um non-monogamous relationship the only you know really committed relationship that I've been in was um, monogamous marriage. Um, and then after I got divorced, I have been um, dating, but mostly, um, you know, I would say like casual dating. They've been meaningful experiences almost always. Um, and with really special people that I'm, I'm like really uh, appreciative to be connected with. Um, and many times for like ongoing, you know, could be a year plus, but we, we don't have a traditional relationship in the sense where, like, you know, we're in touch, um, you know, about regular mundane stuff. Um, so it's more of a sexual relationship. Um, and I've, so I've kind of just been open um, in the types of people that, I, that, I'm, that I'm dating and about possibly being in a non-monogamous relationship. Um, and certainly my values in terms of my you know, what I, you know, what, I, what I feel is right for me, I would, I would feel like that, that would be okay, but, but we'll see. It's, it's interesting that in answering that question, the, the, the theme that I heard kind of weaving its way through ha- had to do with, with sex and intimacy. And 
uh, do you do you feel like that there's a different, deeper level that you might get to in terms of defining your relationship structure, or do you feel that 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 is kind of a necessary predeterminant to your relationship structure? Um, I mean, for now, um, those relationships have not gone deeper than that. Um, <laughs> sometimes I feel like it's, you know, unfortunately, like I kind of wish that, that they had. Um, and sometimes I'm very grateful that I'm, you know, just being honest with myself and not forcing, uh, a, you know, a bigger relationship that I'm really ready for. Um, so <laughs> depending on the day and the person, um, I might answer that differently. Um, but I think like, like looking forward, I would love to have a, a deeper relationship with one of those people and still, um, be able to, um, explore sexually, um, without, you know, in an ethical way where, you know, we're honest and communicating. Yeah. I wish, th- I wish that for you. Uh, so before I get too controversial, let, let, I want to come back to you, Elliot, because it's no, it's no secret that we have a significant percentage of our listeners here on equal footing, uh, qualify as kind of faith oriented, uh, certainly interested in issues of faith and how it connects to their daily life. And so there's some risk, uh, that I've put myself in and getting, you know, got on the air and talking about this stuff, uh, so openly. I got a a note in reference to the show um, just now from someone that I will I'll, I'll not name their name, but a, a rabbi who uh, is uh, you know keen to this issue, and it comes up in in his ministerial practice. And he says, in the modern world, the classic order is you're attracted, you fall in love, you have sex, and then you get married. And sometimes that love and sex part are you know at the same time or in the opposite order. But according to Torah, according to the Bible, it should the order should be attraction, marriage, sex, love. Again, I'll say that again. According to the Bible, the order of relationship evolution should be attraction, marriage, sex, love. Now, that to many in modern society is a radical way to look at things, even though arguably it's a very traditional way to look at things where you fall in love last. Elliot, if you if you could play a little bit of devil's advocacy, I know that you, you I don't know. I suspect you don't agree with that that uh, uh, approach. Do you see merit in that? I mean, can you can you adjust that if you have clients that are wrestling with issues of fidelity that that you know that see the world that way? How, how do you how do you deal with that? Um, a lot of deep breathing and. Uh, <laughs> A lot of uh, making sure I don't project my own experience into the situation. Fair enough. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, you know, I think I've been in a position where I can adapt, and, and I understand that. I empathize with that. I, I don't live that way, but again, I don't judge that. I think that, you know, it, it makes sense, you know, that we would you know, believe what we believe based on who we are, what our childhood has been, and, and how we navigate the world. Um, you know, I think, I think there's a part of that, you know, that does really make sense. Like Jessica said, like in the sense of it's almost like an agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, what I hear from that, because again, I don't think I could ever be in a position where I could marry somebody if I didn't love or care for them on this deep, deep level. Like I, I don't think I could physically do that mm-hmm. um, in regards to that kind of, structure of what's been discussed or decided by biblical times 
And yet, in, um, in numbers around the world, if you look at the, the numbers of people that live in "quote unquote" traditional societies, that that is a common model for arguably, you know, half or more of the human beings on the planet. Definitely, and I see that, and I understand that, and um, you know, I think because we're kind of conditioned to see that in some ways. I mean, again, we see that in society everywhere, in movies and and literature and, and everything, you know, non-monogamy hasn't really gotten that kind of push to be, you know, societally, uh, societally acceptable. So in regards of what that looks like, you know, again, I get it. I understand it. I'm empathetic to it. I don't agree. But again, you know, I think I understand why that works for people. And I understand. I mean, I think about Ellie. I mean, he was my rabbi. You know, and we lived that way together. I mean, he preached it, he talked about it, he did it, and now he doesn't live that way. And I, I want to go there. <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I don't want. I don't want listeners. I don't. I don't want listeners to feel that 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 I'm promoting uh, a, a family structure or a marriage structure that involves anything more than one man and one woman. What I really am trying to get to, as often as the case in this show, is an acknowledgement of the realities out there and the struggles that people are having and the solutions that, that come up. And I think uh, daylight and honest dialogue and debate um, yields the best results. We're going we're gonna to take a break in a, in a moment, but uh, to Ellie, Elliot just mentioned Ellie that you were his, his rabbi, and I want to come back to um, this kind of traditional structure and and let's acknowledge that you know whatever yields from recent studies in the topic and dialogues and shows like this the 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 large majority of relationships will you know are likely for the foreseeable future to continue in this um, traditional time honored structure and yet if you look at the religious sources one of the confusions at least for me is you have a lot of talk about the the uh, the nature of the institution around attraction, marriage, sex, love, and then. But the issue of fidelity um, is confusing because in in the Bible you do have a number of pretty prominent instances of infidelity. You even have brothers and sisters. <laughs> you have seduction of other other men's wives and so forth. And it's it's unclear at, at least to um, an unsophisticated reader like myself. Um, exactly what the guidance is on what should happen in a relationship when there is classically defined infidelity. What what is the answer to that from a rabbinical uh, or biblical perspective, Ellie? Um, um, <laughs> I would say my even as a rabbi, the first thing I would have said is is therapy. Um, Literally, that's the first thing I think that a couple should do if they find themselves in that situation. Not to draw any conclusions, not to, um, you know, process the emotion and the experience with a professional, someone who can guide, um, because so much of that is not really about the, uh, you know, cheating or, or sex or anything like that. It's probably years and years of um, unhealthy cycles that have taken shape, and then this is just like, you know, um, just a conclusion of that. Um, So unraveling it in therapy with a professional is is vital to finding a path forward. Together as a couple. 
correct if that's yeah. the right decision for them. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we have a caller on hold. And we have a few text questions that have come in, which we're about to to take. I'm also uh, hearing that we have some upset listeners. I'm hearing from our producer, and I need to tread carefully. I would love for those upset listeners to call in and tell me why they're upset because I think part of the issue is we don't talk about this stuff as openly as we should and therefore there's a lot of secret lives going on, a lot of double lives and uh, and it's, I think, ultimately healthy to talk about even if uh, even if it hurts. So we'll be right back to participate in the discussion again, 718-303-9090. You can also text me and tell me why you're upset at 917-428-4062. Equal Footing with Dove Tusman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tusman. I'm on with Elliot Andre, Jessica Lagana, Ellie Ben-Hyun, folks that bring a lot of interesting perspectives to the definition of fidelity and infidelity and navigating different types of relationship structures. I know this is a controversial and difficult show. For those that have been calling in, I just want to apologize. Our board is full at the moment, so if, you, if you're if getting a busy sign, busy signal, please call back. Uh, we're going to take a caller here from li- on line three. Hi, welcome to Equal Footing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do not like this program. Your hashkafists are wrong, though. They're wrong. You should go back to yeshiva, and you should get the right hashkafists, because whatever you're talking about is stutzim from the movies. That's all it is. Stutzim from the movies, and you don't belong on this program. I feel very bad. I love the Zev Brennan programming. I love that Thursday night lineup. But you just ruined my whole night with this. My husband was in the room, and he says, oh, my gosh, listen to what he's talking about. Is this for real? This is what, even, I've been listening to CBS and other stations all day. I don't hear this anywhere. What kind of, what are you trying to achieve by such a discussion? That panel that you have, are they all Jewish? Uh, I'm not sure. I think I think at least uh, at least a couple are. I really appreciate you calling in and expressing to me your your upset. And I want to ask you're uh, in the you're on the wrong program for such a discussion. What what upsets you so much about the discussion? It's against God's will. 
It's against our Torah. You said something. The Torah believes like this and this and then that gentleman said, well, but you know, in the movies, they do it this way. We don't live in the world of movies, mister. We live in a very nice Torah world. Let me, let me ask people, you this. Let people, me ask, yeah. people get attracted to one another, like you said, and then they get married, and as the years go on, their love grows stronger and stronger. And that gentleman said, who said, he can't believe he couldn't he couldn't think of himself getting married to someone he, who he wasn't deeply in love. He doesn't know what love is all about. He'll never know what love is about. When he'll be married to the woman for fifty years, then he'll know what love is about. If I if I could uh, reflect for a moment, so I really again appreciate where you're coming from. My point here was not to promote any type of lifestyle or to give a shkafa at all. But really to um, identify some of the complexities that exist in the real world and help people um, be able to, as Ellie just said before the break, see a therapist that they need to rather than keeping it all inside, living a secret life or not being communicative. So I just uh, want to be clear. And, and you know, I, I, I am a, uh, an a Listen, listen, the gay lifestyle is also against the Torah. And, okay. they're, and now they're very popular saying, don't keep it inside, let it all out. You're on the wrong program, mister. You're on the wrong program. You're ruining, you ruined my night. You're ruining our programming. We like listening to Torah things, not this. And I, I, I appreciate your perspective. You sound like a from guy. I listened to you before, and I heard you had a hard life. I'm really sorry for you, but I want to tell you something. What you should do is enroll in some kind of a yeshiva program. There's some great yeshivas out there. There's, I don't know which neighborhood you're in. I could recommend some, and they will set your head straight, and you won't have to worry about keeping things secret inside and bottled up. And have, <laughs> I could laugh, you know, because you're right. These people have uh, uh, keeping things bottled up. That's what kind of lifestyle is that? Yeah. That's not a lifestyle. That's not what real love is all about. Please, you know please do love? send me suggestions on, on learning that I can do. I'm always up for learning. And I hope that even your perspective, I'm sorry, I didn't catch your, your first name. I'm not sure if you'd, if you'd like me to call you by your name. But, uh, yes, all right. Uh, they know me on the program. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, I actually, I, 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 I authentically appreciate you calling in because I imagine your voice is representative of a lot of other people. And I want to tell you, and it may be hard to hear, you may not believe me, but my purpose in, in doing this, uh, going into this topic tonight was actually to help people uh, heal from difficult Jewish circumstances. Oh, wait, yeah. Are these Jewish people? Are these Jewish people? El- Elliot and Jessica and, uh, and Ellie, uh, I- I'm sorry, I believe Elliot and Ellie, you're Jewish. I'm, I- I'm are not, they religious? Yeah. You know, let's ask. Let's ask. <laughs> I appreciate you you're calling Ellie. Ellie Ben Hyun. Uh, are you Jewish? Are you religious? How do you feel about this this caller's perspective? Um, yes, I'm Jewish, and I How old grew are up. You, Ellie? Um, How old? I'm are 33 you, years old. Yeah, 33. Did you, have, did you ever get married? I did. You did. And what happened? It didn't work yes. out. Didn't work out. So um, I guess it wasn't yeah, the right person. Yeah, we were we were from, and um, 
and Chabad, actually. I was a Chabad rabbi. Um, and we dated, you know, the from way we, we dated only four times. I proposed on the fifth date. Um, yeah, but we got you know something, within... Ellie, 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 mm-hmm. that's why Hashem made divorce. Because Hashem right. knows that every person is an individual. And sometimes two people get together, and it doesn't work out. They're Correct. human beings. It just doesn't work out. So they get divorced. But there's life past your ex-wife. There are other young ladies, nice ones. I wish you that you should meet somebody really nice and do it the traditional way and be very happy. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you calling in. I want to make sure we get to other callers. Your opinion is registered and heard. Uh, Again, the intent is not to offend. The intent is to help for healing. I think the fact that this struck such a chord is telling, and I think it's an issue that a lot of people, particularly younger people that are exposed to different uh, paradigms, are, are facing. And the point of the show is for us to try to help kind of navigate the uh, observant lifestyle, uh, if that's what the choice that you've made in life to be in, in an, an observant path, that's a choice that I've made. But that doesn't mean that I'm not able to discuss these things. I'm not in an open relationship. I've certainly dealt with infidelity issues in my life on both sides of the coin. I'm not going to sit here and and, uh, and and claim holier than thou on anything, much less this. Uh, but I I think to hear from others on, in their perspective is always valuable. And I, and I, I do question to the, the caller that called in from Borough Park, and I appreciate the call, um, that uh, if you can't hear something, if you can't even listen to something, and of course, you're making a choice to turn on the radio, you're making a choice to listen to the program, you don't have to listen to my program, um, it, but if you can't hear something and rationally uh, discuss, and I appreciate there was some of that there uh, with you, Ellie, um, I think that's a problem. I think it's important to be able to interact with the world, um, not to be completely in our own, you know, bubble, and and to be able to address difficult topics, and especially as religious people. And I, I, I'm not qualifying myself in any particular place in the spectrum, but I see myself as someone who's who is uh, very faith oriented. I think it's especially important as religious people to be um, to be open enough to hear others challenges, others' pains, and others' choices. Uh, okay, I'm, we're going to take a caller in line two in a moment, but for those who are calling in, we're just ringing busy. We do have an open line now, but I want to ask a question. We're going to run out of time. This is, I, I may make the executive decision to, to take out our last ad break so we can cover a couple things. Uh, there's a question for you, Jessica. I came in by, by text. Um, as a single woman dating in 2021 with the swipe right culture, uh, have we made a shift where it's harder to get commitment? Is that part of these choices that are being made? I think that definitely can be part of the issue. Um, I I know that, you know, people approach relationships in a lot of different ways. And I think one of the biggest struggles that we have in dating, and particularly online dating, is that everybody is entering that pool with an idea of the relationship they want. So they have that in their mind, and they're going to the sea of people and trying to find the person that fits that picture in their head. Um, I think that's something that will help people um, as they are dating is to approach it just trying to meet people and develop a friendship and see if something develops out of that. You can't really 
make a relationship before you have another person to have that relationship with. I think that's 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 good. Those are good words of wisdom. I'm going to riff on another text question. I'm sorry for the caller on, on line two. Just a moment more of uh, of patience, and I think this is going to upset our caller who just called in and maybe many others when I asked this question, but I want to caveat. There's a question coming in from the outside. Actually, I did get a funny text just now that said someone, someone said that I should invite the caller who's just on to be a co-host for future shows, that that would be, uh, that that would be helpful. Um, okay. Uh, so question for you, Elliot, uh, this, this person says, I feel there's a sense of freedom in knowing that the man has someone else to go home to, so to speak, that there's another person that he's connected and committed to that can pair the brunt of their emotional needs so I don't have to. That doesn't sound healthy to me. Now, I've never been in an open relationship. I don't know how that stuff works, but that sounds like someone, and I'm I'm sorry to be passing judgment. To me, it sounds like, and maybe to other listeners, like someone who is, um, using this lifestyle as an escape mechanism, but can you speak to that? Is that is that a I don't know valid reason? Is that on the spectrum for for relationship structures? I mean, some people do that. Let's be real; we're not perfect. We're only human. Uh, I don't do that, <laughs> and I the people that I'm involved with don't do that. And a lot of of that being said, has to come with boundaries and asking for permission. And I think that's one thing we forget to do. We assume a primary partner, whether male or female, non-binary or whatever, you know, has this idea that your primary partner is going to be the person that you put everything on, no matter what. Emotions, you know, your day's garbage, and you're going to just vent. And if you have boundaries and you have things that you you can communicate about how that structure looks like for you in your primary relationship, secondary relationship, non-existent relationship, friendship, you know, things can really move uh, in in a form of, of... of betterment, of, of growth. Because again, I think society shows, movies show, or traditional Jewish relationships show that uh, the man and the wife, the only person you can really tell or communicate about your emotions and feelings and get the brunt of that is that person. And in non-monogamy, that's not true at all. Again, case by case, but in my situation, I have friends, I have family, I have one partner, I have another. You know, there's this ability to be fluid in my communication. Yeah, one of the things that inspired me to do this, the topic of the show tonight on finding fidelity, navigating traditional and open relationships, is trying to figure out where on that spectrum one should sit, because I think it's unreasonable for there to be no other place of emotional uh, for, let's put aside physical, no other place of emotional support and, and, and what's appropriate. And it's, it's complex. Uh, we don't have that much time left. I want to take this caller on online too. Um, but I do want to uh, share uh, just a, a listener sent in uh, a suggestion to look at a UCLA study. They included a link. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes um, on uh, infidelity in traditional and more progressive uh, groupings in society. And uh, I'm, I'm abbreviating this, this commentary, but refers to um, the Orthodox Jewish community, uh, the fundamentalist Christian community, observant Christian community, uh, Hindu uh, communities, uh, and that the level of the uh, infidelity actually is, there's a higher percentage of infidelity in marriage structures in traditional uh, 
cultures. Now, I don't know. I haven't read the study. Uh, I'm just I'm summarizing what I'm seeing. Um, that's pretty interesting, and I think goes to the point that it's important we talk about this stuff. Ellie, having been uh, a rabbinical minister, having having been a rabbi, is your experience is, is that is that fit in terms of your anecdotal experience that there's equal or greater levels of infidelity in quote unquote traditional structures, traditional cultures? I should uh, say. I certainly can't speak from any kind of like statistical background, but what I can say is that all of the um, you know human uh, ills, so to speak, like all the human conditions that exist in the world outside of traditional communities exist in the traditional communities. And in the traditional communities, um, something that uh, a, a lot of people uniquely suffer is that it's kind of suppressed, and maybe, therefore, it can, uh, you know, run rampant and unnoticed. So, for example, addiction um, is, is now becoming less and less taboo, thankfully, in, in religious communities. But if, uh, you know, someone in a relationship is suffering from addiction, let's say it's sex addiction, and, um, you know, they're spending a ton of money and time, and, and it really destroys uh, the, 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 the family, the person and the family's structure, um, you know, that exists in the religious community just as much uh, as it would exist anywhere else. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I've seen that firsthand in, you know, in the family that you would think would, it would never exist. Right. Uh, I'm gonna so, take, yeah, I can relate to uh, that. Let, let's take a, a, a very quick question, if you don't mind, from the caller on line two, because I do have one more question for our guests. Hi, line two. The comment, this is Stan from Hi, Stan. Uh, I want to speak to the lady. I think I, if she doesn't know, of course, the caller does not know that there are many tri-relationships in this country that nobody knows about. I mean, literally thousands that are going unconditional relationships. Uh, the rate of divorce against with monogamous relationships is more than 50%. Jewish as well. So the woman hasn't a clue. She lives in her world, but not in the real world. The fact is, the, I want to ask the woman, you know that the, the tri-relationship, there are many going on. What percentage of them that you know about break up or continue, or someone leaves the tri-relationship and the two stay, or the someone, and the relationship goes on? Uh, what percentage is that? Do you know about it nationally, what's going on in that area? I don't have any statistics in front of me, but when you think about a relationship between three people, you're looking at three separate relationships. So any of those relationships can end just like a monogamous relationship. It's not um, immune to that, certainly. I think that where I see um, a little bit of an exception is that people that identify as ethically non-monogamous tend to develop their communication skills because they have, they have to talk about some really hard things. That they have to talk about feelings and jealousy and all of that. Um, so I think that that helps in some ways. But at the same time, I in no way advocate that everybody should be non-monogamous. Being successful in a relationship with a single person is incredibly hard. More than 50% of marriages are failing. That speaks to how difficult it is to maintain a relationship with a single person. So to expect that your people are going to be able to maintain successful relationships with more than one person 
that that is a not realistic thing, and it's not a good thing for most people. I appreciate Stan's call and, and your answer, Jessica. We're good. We're coming up on time. Elliot, I want to go back to something that's come up earlier around uh, encouraging people to to see uh, therapists and to talk things through. One of the challenges that that I've lived through, I think many of us have, when you've got a challenge with, with fidelity or perceived in, infidelity in a relationship is the the coping process sometimes people uh you know exaggerate a response or uh you know a relationship is is totally cratered or sometimes there's an army of people that are you know involved but not a therapist is there a universal elliot as a therapist is there a universal rule or close to universal rule that can be applied that when a couple is dealing with a crisis around fidelity to see a therapist together or would you say that's case dependent sometimes it makes sense sometimes it doesn't it's definitely case dependent, and it depends on how far along the relationship is within this kind of turmoil or infidelity. I think a lot of couples come to a therapist in time of crisis, and they expect that the therapist is going to fix the situation, whether it be let's work on these things or just end the marriage relationship or what have you. You know, I, I found that, again, always in my realm, case by case, but in the sense of, of knowing in my own therapeutic experience that I have had, you know, there are definitely telltale signs of, you know, if something's going to work or something is not going to work um, in regards of kind of a more black and white kind of take. And again, this is from my own personal experience of working with the couples and clients that I have. If you were to ask somebody else, I don't know if that would be the same, but in regards of what that looks like, definitely no true final answer of what, can work or doesn't, but in regards of, of how you navigate it, I think is, is more so important. Got it. Thanks. It's good to hear that from a therapist. We've only got about a minute left, so I would ask each of you uh, in 20 seconds, I'll start with you, Jessica, to uh, say in like a lot parting words to our audience around the issue of, of uh, fidelity and finding fidelity in their relationship life. I think the most important thing regarding fidelity is just stating your expectations for the other person um, that you're in a relationship with so that you are able to maintain trust based on actual knowledge of what the other person wants and expects from you. Wonderful. Ellie, the rabbi, give it to us in now 10, 20 seconds. Be honest with yourself. Be faithful to yourself, and then you will be able to be faithful with others. That is my motto. Elliot, the therapist, close us out here on the topic of finding fidelity. I just want to piggyback and echo on what both Jess and Ellie said. And the last thing I'll say is trust your gut. Trust your gut. And for all of our listeners that, that are representative of the caller that they called in from Borough Park, I respect you, I love you, I feel part of you, and I hope that uh, you can also take this to heart. Your gut is also valued. Uh, your approach is also valued, and hearing other perspectives doesn't denigrate it in any way. God bless. We'll talk next week. Thank you to my guests, and uh, we'll be back next week, as always, on Equal Footing. Never mind, I'll find someone like you.